I want to begin with a confession. Um, the gospel reading that we heard for this morning is not the one we were supposed to use. Um, the lectionary editors, in their wisdom, had actually selected for today's gospel a story from Matthew, the story that has become affectionately known as the slaughter of the innocents. Old Mad Herod, uh, frantically seeking to snuff out the newborn usurper, decides to take no chances and so orders all the children in and around Bethlehem aged two years old and younger to be killed and does so in order to fulfill the scripture, a fact which ought to give us pause when we rather blithely assume that fulfilling the scripture is a good thing. In defense of the lectionary editors, today really isn't Christmas, right? I mean, it's the day after Christmas. For the truly liturgical, Christmas was celebrated in worship yesterday, with all the appropriate texts being proclaimed. It makes sense that on the day after Christmas, we would read texts that describe what happened after Christmas, no matter how bleak. But when Titus told me that the gospel reading for today was Matthew's telling of the slaughter of the innocents, I begged off. I said, I need some comfort and joy. The story of a birth, not the story of death. And so I suggested that we switch to Luke and, and find there a little oasis of peace on earth and goodwill to all. And Titus kindly agreed, which was no small thing since it meant reworking the worship materials to suit the new gospel reading. But now I wonder, I've developed the habit, um, some might say tick, of asking whether or not we really believe the things that we say about God's work in Christ to redeem the world. It's a gnawing question for me. It won't be laid to rest no matter how often I ask it. Like the guest who will not leave, it's an irritating thing, something I wish would go away, but can't quite bring myself to actually kick out the door. That question keeps me awake at night. And so in the wee hours of the night before Christmas Eve, it kept me tossing and turning. The sermon was all written, a warm and solid Christmas sermon, if I do say so myself. But that annoying question kept bugging me like an itch in an unreachable spot. It kept at me. Because it occurred to me that my reluctance to preach from that woeful story from Matthew, that story in which we see the empire fully exposed, desperate and murderous, and defending its place in the world. It occurred to me that maybe my reluctance was not so much about needing something warm and cozy for Christmas. I won't deny that I need at least, or at least want, an occasional respite from real life. I mean, that's what Christmas movies are for, right? But I suspect that there's more to my reluctance than just that. I suspect that what nagged at me was that old and wearisome question, do I really believe? Do I really believe that what God did in that manger in Bethlehem was adequate to overcome the evil done in Bethlehem by Herod just a few days later? Do I really believe that God's light is sufficient to overcome the darkness done in Herod's name? Is my reluctance to preach the Herod story an indication that when push comes to shove, what I really believe is that Herod is stronger? than God, that evil is stronger than good, that the darkness is more powerful than the light. Well, you can see why I had trouble sleeping. Now, perhaps I take myself too seriously. Um, it's been known to happen. 
But the question keeps at me, do I really believe? Well, it's Christmas morning and all the presents are under the tree, a modest number of presents, this being a Mennonite Christmas morning, more plain than fancy. Most of the packages are wrapped in old newspapers and there are never enough color comics to go around and so most of the gifts are in fact wrapped in gray. Now you try not to use those pages with grim headlines, no murders or drug busts or political sleaziness, no obituaries or want ads or death tolls from distant wars, nothing to dismay or confuse the unwrapper who may be tempted to read between the lines and try to figure out what you mean by wrapping your gift in such a way that the words economy worsens appear just below her name. Still, even le reading the bleakest headlines, it's, even avoiding the bleakest headlines, it's, it's passing strange to see Christmas gifts wrapped up in the news of the day, but we are Mennonites and so frugality wins the day. Now, I suspect that we have all had the experience somewhere along the way of eagerly anticipating opening a certain package, that one thing above all the others that you hope to receive, that one thing that will make your Christmas joy complete. You're wise enough not to pin all your hopes on that one gift and wise enough to know in advance that whatever joy does come will be temporary. As a wise woman once told me when I was on my way home from a rather dispiriting Mondale campaign rally, uh, oh, come on. Anyways, as that wise woman once told me, nothing lasts forever. Not exactly words to live by, but, um, but true. You know, even before you open the gift, that um, it will one day lose its ability to make you happy. But in the moment, you find the will to set that gloomy prospect aside and you open the gift. And it is perfect. Just what you wanted. And gratitude flows from you like water from a fountain, all bubbly and frothy. You pick it up, you hold it before your eyes, you turn the pages or you plug it in or you start to feverishly read the instruction manual. You put it on or you start it up or you in some other way give it a whirl, which is apt language since holding the gift does make you want to dance around the room. Just what you wanted, you say. Just what you wanted. And so you say thank you, and you give the giver a hug, you say thank you again, just what you wanted. But sometimes we open the gift, and our hearts sink. Me in that color? Whatever made him think I'd want this? It's not what I asked for. It's not. I wanted the next size up. The one with 3D or 3G or 3 something or other. And this isn't that. It's not. It's too slow, too big, too small, too last year and altogether inadequate. Now, we are polite people, and no one can deny that. If there's one thing that marks us Mennonites, it's that. We are polite. We hide our disappointment. We cover it over like black paint on a chrome bumper. We politely say thank you and politely offer the giver a hug, all the while calculating how long we really have to wait before taking the foolish thing off to the goodwill. Now, I'm coming to believe that it's not so much the gift itself that leads to such disappointment. The gift itself may well be lovely and cool and interesting and something well worth having, but we were looking for something else. We were expecting something else, something 
that fit better or met our needs better or in some other way lived up to our expectations. And when those expectations aren't met, we feel let down, disappointed, hurt even. I mean, how could someone who knows me so well have gotten it so wrong? Weren't they paying attention at all? Well, I was walking to the office on Christmas Eve. I saw two dead birds on the sidewalk, small, cold, still things. And I had to wonder, does God really notice that they are gone? Last Sunday, we sang My Soul Cries Out, and I couldn't make it through. Though I am small, my God, my all, you work great things in me, and your mercy will last from the depths of the past to the end of the age to be. Your very name puts the proud to shame, and those who would for you yearn, you will show your might, put the strong to flight, for the world is about to turn. And I couldn't make it through. I got all choked up. The words speak of something that I long for. They also speak of something that I have yet to see, something imagined not experienced, something wished for, not known, something hoped for, not real. From the halls of power to the fortress tower, not a stone will be left on stone. Let the king beware, for your justice tears every tyrant from his throne. The hungry poor shall weep no more for the food they can never earn. There are tables spread, every mouth be fed, for the world is about to turn. I couldn't sing those words. My heart was in my throat. Though the nations rage from age to age, we remember who holds us fast. God's mercy must deliver us from the conqueror's crushing grasp. This saving word that our forebears heard is the promise which holds us bound till the spear and rod can be crushed by God who is turning the world around. My heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn. And I couldn't make it through. I couldn't sing those words. Not because I didn't want to, or not because I don't believe them, or don't want to believe them, but because I need them to be true. And there's so little evidence that they are true. Here's the thing. Mary sings her Magnificat, right? We know that. Song, a song of God's turning the world upside down, a song of liberation, of salvation, of redemption, a song of reversal, uh, one that makes the hearts of the poor leap for joy and the hearts of the rich shake with fear. It's a defiant song, one that tells the powers of this world to watch their backs because something righteous this way comes. A song that makes folks like old King Herod scour the countryside for a hint of where to find the root of the promise and to snuff it out. A song that stirs his fear to the point of murder. So on the one side, Mary's song. And on the other, the slaughter of the innocents. And in between, the gift. And I confess that after, that what I expect after singing Mary's song is, is something powerful, mighty, capable of flipping the world on its head, of setting things to right, of breaking the yoke of the oppressed, destroying the rod of the oppressor. I expect someone strong enough to break the bow and the spear and to beat swords into plowshares, someone to stop the killing, to stop the suffering, to finally put an end to human arrogance and stupidity, to human 
ignorance and greed. Someone to redeem the good and to punish the evil. That's what I expect after I read Mary's song. And that's what I want, really. That's what I want. Despite all my claims to being a pacifist and of loving my enemies and following the way of the cross, what I want, what I need, what I expect is someone to bust up the joint and set the captives free and make our lives on this earth better, happier, safer, and less burdened. And when I look to Herod and and that story that I tried to protect us from this morning, when I look to what happened in Bethlehem not much later, my desire for a conquering Savior grows all the stronger. I mean, look at this madness. Look at this evil. Come on, God. Do something about it. Look around and see all the wrong, all the suffering, all the death in this world. And Not 2,000 years ago, mind you, but today and all over the place. Herod has the upper hand. He can slaughter at will. And all for the sake of political and economic stability or, or the balance of power or keeping the world safe for democracy or taking America back. And again, I want someone capable of overturning the whole thing, of setting things to rights and bringing some justice and peace to a weary and broken world. And despite all my claims to the contrary, if I'm honest with myself, those are the expectations with which I approach the gift that is given. And then I open the gift. And lo and behold, it's a baby. And I tried so hard to hide my disappointment. But when someone starts singing, I find it almost impossible to sing along because my heart, my heart's just not in it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. She was born this day in the city of David, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom God favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. 
This is the gift God gives us on this Christmas day. A baby. Not a general. Not a hero. Not a warrior. Not an emperor. A baby. Now, not just any old baby, of course. One who's coming fulfilled ancient prophecies. God's anointed one. God's chosen one. A king of a kingdom just beginning. God's own child. The hope of all to come. The word of God made flesh. Not just any old baby. And yet, here in this moment, somewhere between Mary's prophetic singing and the slaughter of the children of Bethlehem, in that moment when we are given the gift and we open it, we find a baby, baby, small, weak, defenseless, vulnerable, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, entirely dependent upon the care of his parents, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, a baby. That's the gift that we are given this day. And so the question is, do we believe? Do we believe that in this smallest of gifts, this most vulnerable of creatures, this most unlikely Savior, that there is, in fact, the very power and wisdom of God? Do we believe that this little baby is, in fact, come to seek and to save all that is lost? Do we believe that this little baby will, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, one day gather up all the boots and bloody clothes of tramping warriors and burn them like fuel for the fire? Do we believe that this little one is the one God has chosen to establish and uphold the whole world with justice and righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. Do we believe, can we believe, that the gift that we have been given today is exactly what we've been waiting for and exactly what we need, what the world needs and longs for? Despite my best efforts, I can't turn away from the truth of human sin. I can't turn away from stories like Herod's slaughter of the innocents. I can't hide myself away in the first Noel in that manger scene of innocence and beauty. I can't pretend that all is calm and all is bright. Sparrows fall dead from the sky. Human arrogance still reigns. Misery exists in far more places than it should. Empires work their will on the vulnerable. Peace seems far away. And justice is too often spoken in mocking tones. I hear Mary singing and I weep because I still await the day when her bold proclamation is made real. And that old imperial impulse in me wishes for a bigger gift, a stronger savior, a God willing to use violence to end violence. And so I find it hard to sing with Mary because her song reveals my disbelief and my idolatry all at the same time. Still, here I am, here we are, on this day when the gift is given, and the glory of the Lord is revealed. We tear away that newspaper wrapping with its pictures and words that remind us of exactly what world we inhabit. We tear away that paper with its hard and ugly truths and discover God's own child, wrapped in swaddling clothes, a baby, 
And while one of us might be tempted to turn away in disappointment, finding the gift not nearly enough to meet our needs, together, together we may find the will to resist that impulse. Together we may find the strength to hold that gift before us, to contemplate its true meaning, to wonder at God's purposes, and finally to trust them, at least for now. Together we may find what we need to abide here in these fields at night, focusing our attention on the light from the manger and looking within it for signs of hope, of peace, and all the good things spoken of in the scripture. Together we find our voice and we start to sing the old songs of Christmas time, the ones that bring us peace and comfort, comfort and joy, joy and hope. We sing the old songs together and together. We wait for the day when Mary's voice will rise above the voices of tyrants, the day when the schemes of Herod will turn to tatters, the day when the poor are gathered around God's own table with Jesus himself as the host. Together, together we await that day. Though the nations rage from age to age, we remember who holds us fast. God's mercy must deliver us from the conqueror's crushing grasp. The saving word that our forebears heard is the promise which holds us bound till the spear and rod can be crushed by God who is turning the world around. Our hearts shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of God's justice burn. Wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near. The world is about to turn. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's turn together to number 204 in the hymnal worship book, number 204. This song is written to be sung in uh, rounds, in a round, and uh, we're going to divide up into three sections. Um, the first section to my left, your right, will be group number one. Somewhere in the middle of the benches here, split and be group number two, and then group number three on my right, on your left. And we'll sing through this um, one time in unison together, and then we'll sing through it twice uh, as a round. And I'll bring each group in as we uh, come in. So let's stand together, please.
standing, please. Turn together to number 215. Number 215, what child is this? Thank you. 